Hello everyone and welcome to In Case You Missed Class, The Hero's Journey in Masterpieces of Film. I'm Dr. Todd Mack from Hillsdale College and today is Wednesday, January 30th, 2019. Today in class we discuss the first half of The Hero's Journey. I'd like to start today by telling you a little bit about the series of podcasts. I'm an assistant professor of Spanish at Hillsdale College in rural southern Michigan and former co-host of the Protagonist podcast. With this series, I plan on giving people a brief idea of what we discuss in class. This semester, I have separate podcasts for Beginning Spanish 2, Philosophy and Fiction in Modern Spain, and this class, The Hero's Journey in Masterpieces of Film, in which each week I will discuss some of the big ideas from class. We meet weekly, so you can expect to find this episode in your podcast app of choice by Wednesday mornings. This was the the second time that I met with this class, but really the first full day of class. And the goal for class is to read Joseph Campbell's book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, uh, really pretty quickly, and to just cover kind of the main ideas. And then we're going to watch a bunch of films and, uh, and then discuss the films through the lens of The Hero's Journey. So The Hero's Journey is uh, this idea. It's tossed around all the time. Uh, if you go on YouTube, you can find a million uh, people talking about the hero's journey and different uh, the different stages of the hero's journey. I've noticed that often uh, people don't reference Campbell's book, and I think it's a mistake because it's a really interesting book and uh, can help us to understand what's really going on in this this hero's journey. So uh, in class, we briefly discuss the prologue. In the prologue, Campbell says, um, he says, whether we listen with aloof amazement to the dreamlike mumbo-jumbo of some red-eyed witch doctor from the Congo or read with cultivated rapture thin translations from the sonnets of the mystic Lao Tzu, now and again crack the hard nutshell of an argument of Aquinas or catch suddenly the shining meaning of a bizarre Eskimo fairy tale, it will always be always the one shape-shifting yet marvelously constant story that we find together with a challenging, persistent suggestion of more remaining to be experienced than will ever be known or told. Throughout the inhabited world, in all times and under every circumstance, the myths of man have flourished and they have been the living inspiration of whatever else may have appeared out of the activities of the human body and mind. He says, anytime we tell a story, we're telling a version of the same story, and he calls it the hero's, the hero's journey or uh, the monomyth, it's uh, often called. And it happens in stages. And it begins uh, usually with a hero, somebody, and they are, um, they're not doing really well. So, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker's kicking rocks on Tatooine, or Harry Potter's stuck under his, uh, his cupboard, or Katniss Everdeen is uh, in District 12, or um, uh, what's her name? The lady in uh, in while you were sleeping is dreaming about uh, the the handsome guy with the big eyebrows, and their life is uh, tends to be kind of monotonous. There's not a lot of uh, progress being made, and uh, and then the hero receives a call, and it's a call to leave wherever they are, and um, so they might be called to. Uh, um, space or a fantasy world or uh, just to meet some interesting people. 
Uh, Campbell says this, the first stage of the mythological journey, which we have designated the call to adventure, signifies that destiny has summoned the hero and transferred his spiritual center of gravity from within the pale of his society to his own unknown. This fateful region of both treasure and danger may be variously represented as a distant land, a forest, a kingdom underground, beneath the waves, or above the sky, a secret island, lofty mountaintop, or profound dream state, but it is always a place of strangely fluid and polymorphous beings, unimaginable torments, superhuman deeds, and impossible delight. Yeah. So that's the call. And uh, the hero receives a call. Sometimes it comes in the form of a letter. Sometimes it comes in the form of a messenger, like Hagrid or Gandalf uh, or uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi or R2-D2. Um, and then the hero has a chance to accept the call or reject the call. Uh, so stage two of the hero's journey is called refusal of the call. And Campbell says, often in actual life, and not infrequently in the myths and popular tales, we encounter the dull case of the call unanswered, for it is always possible to turn the ear to other interests. The refusal of the summons converts the adventure into its negative. Walled in boredom, hard work, or culture, the subject loses the power of significant affirmative action and becomes a victim to be saved. His flowering world becomes a wasteland of dry stones, and his life means, feels meaningless, even though, like King Minos, he may, through titanic efforts, succeed in building an empire of renown. Whatever house he builds, it will be a house of death, a labyrinth of cyclopean walls to hide from him his minotaur. All he can do is create new problems for himself and await the gradual approach of his disintegration. So stage two, you either accept the call or reject the call. If you reject the call, then you will continue to be miserable. And you may have, for a time, uh, commercial or financial success, but in the end, it will all crumble around. Step three of the hero's journey is called supernatural aid. And uh, Campbell says this, for those who have not received, refused the call, the first encounter of the hero's journey is with a protective figure, often a little old crone or old man, who provides the adventurer with amulets against the dragon forces he is about to pass. So there's two parts of this. There's a, a person, and then that person gives some kind of amulet. And uh, he says, often an old crone or an old man. Um, so this is, again, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Gandalf, Hagrid. Uh, there are lots and lots of examples of these. Um, but the, the thing that I think sometimes we forget is that not only do they help the, the hero in this first part of the stage, they also give them often something. So you have uh, Harry Potter gets his wand, Luke Skywalker gets his lightsaber, Captain America gets a shield, um, Iron Man gets a suit, Thor gets a hammer. Um, and so they're often given some, some little tool that will help them along the way. And then they cross a threshold. So they leave the place where they're from. And step four is the crossing of the first threshold where they leave the organized society and they enter some, this chaotic fluid world. Uh, Campbell says, with the personification of his destiny to guide and aid him, the hero goes forward in his adventure until he comes to the threshold guardian at the entrance to the zone of magnified power. Such custodians bound the world in four directions, also up and down, standing for the limits of the hero's present sphere or life horizon. Beyond them is darkness, the unknown, and danger. Just as beyond the parental watch is danger to the infant and beyond the protection of his society, danger to the member of the tribe. The usual person is more than content. He is even proud to remain within the indicated bounds. And popular belief gives him every reason to fear so much as the first step into the unexplored. So we had a really good discussion in class about um, uh, one of the students asked, so uh, is it good to reject the call or not? Because it, in, when you read about refusal of the call, it sounds pretty terrible. But here it says ordinary people 
don't really want to accept the call. And so we talked about uh, the importance of that the call is individual. It comes to you. And you may look at other ordinary people and think, man, that looks pretty great. And, and they may actually be doing well because they're on their own journey. They're doing their own thing. And, uh, and the point, part of the point of this is uh, to not do the thing of everybody else, but to do your thing, to answer your call to adventure, uh, whatever that may be. So you, uh, you answer the call, you get some supernatural aid, you might get a, a special little tool or amulet or something, and then you'll be ushered to the threshold, and then you cross over the threshold. And, uh, and then the, the, the fifth step, uh, Campbell calls it the belly of the whale, it's basically a description of what this world is like, what this new world where you've crossed over. And um, he says, uh, the idea that the passage of the magical threshold is a transit into a sphere of rebirth is symbolized in the worldwide womb image of the belly of the whale. So what's happened here is you're going to have a rebirth, which means you have to re-enter the womb. So often these places are very womb-like. They're wet. Uh, they look like Dagobah or, um, or like Harry Potter. Uh, he'll eventually cross a threshold where he goes down uh, underneath the, the, the dogs. And it's all wet and gooey, and the plants are there. Um, you have, uh, oh, in the film uh, Disney's Christopher Robin, which is an example that I use in class. Uh, Christopher Robin goes in, back into the 100-acre wood, and then he falls in this pit, and he almost drowns. In the film Kubo and the Two Strings, which is a beautiful film that describes the hero's journey um, almost perfectly, uh, they actually go into the belly of a whale, uh, Kubo and the, and the, and the monkey. Um, so it's an important, uh, symbol. And then, uh, step six is the road of trials. And uh, this is usually uh, pretty easy to identify. The, the, the hero will have a series of trials that they need to overcome. It almost like plays out like a video game often in film, uh, where you have to do this thing. And then once you pass that test, then you need to do this other thing. And once you pass that, uh, then you'll, then you'll do something else. And then, uh, so this um, the uh, the road of trials is step one in the second stage of the hero's journey, which is called um, initiation. So phase one is the call to adventure, call refusal of the call, supernatural aid, uh, crossing, and then initiation begins with the the belly of the whale. No, uh, sorry, belly of the whale is the last step of call to the call to and then you have this um this phase that's called initiation and step one is road of trial step two is called meeting with the goddess and it's really um kind of enigmatic uh i've heard lots of people try to explain this and um and never felt uh totally satisfied i'm going to give you my best shot at it campbell says this woman in the picture language of mythology, represents the totality of what can be known. The hero is the one who comes to know. As he progresses in the slow initiation, which is life, the form of the goddess undergoes for him a series of transfigurations. She can never be greater than himself, though she can always promise more than he is yet capable of comprehending. She lures, she guides, she bids him burst his fetters. And if he can manage her import, the two, the knower and the known, will be released from every limitation. Woman is the guide to the sublime acme, of sensuous adventure. So you think about something like Harry Potter, and you go, where does Harry Potter meet a goddess? But if you look at the language here, 
Campbell's not talking about a man meets a woman and she's super attractive, or he's saying that the hero on this journey will come in contact with the potential of what could be done or what he could become. And uh, it's often has to do with knowledge and power. And so the first time that the hero gets a real taste of that knowledge and power, it's ennobling, it's elevating, um, and it's sensuous. Like it fills their senses with this kind of heady notion that this is what they could become. So uh, Luke Skywalker does this um, with Princess Leia. He meets Princess Leia um, when he goes in, uh, in, in to save her. But really, then the stormtroopers are chasing, and they're running, running, running. And they go out on that little platform. The door closes behind them. Then Luke pulls out his grappling hook, and he swings it around. Leia gives him a little kiss, and then they swing across. I think that's Luke's sort of meeting with the goddess. It's where Luke gets a taste of, I could really be something. I could really do something great. Um, and it's not temptation. We'll get to temptation. It's really a vision of what he could become. And I'm thinking about, uh, well, what about Harry Potter? Um, where does this ever happen? Uh, is, it, is it Hermione? Is it Ginny? Is it Cho? And I thought, no, it's not. It's when does Harry get a taste of really the power that could come with, uh, with being a wizard? And I think it's when Harry flies on his broom for the first time. And he's filled with this sensuous experience right this is it's a it's a it's about the sensations of doing this and harry's vision is open to wow this is really something great uh, so that's meeting with the goddess and the next one is woman as temptation and this is where the hero is tempted to deviate from the path that he or she has been set on and uh um it's uh, it, it's usually pretty easy to identify. Um, Luke Skywalker, the, you know, there's a, the, a moment when he's talking with Han after Han's had a little spat with uh, with Leia in New Hope, and uh, you know, what do you think about her? And Han's like, no, nah, I don't really think, I think that very much of her. And you can see on Luke's eyes, like, I think a lot of her, and not like my sister. I really, <laughs> I really think a lot of uh, of Leia. Um, and you're like, no, come on, Luke, you've got uh, you've got bigger fish to fry than uh, making out with your sister. So. Um, so the woman is temptress. Harry Potter, you get a, a super cool kind of image of temptation in the mirror of Erised, where Harry goes and he sits down in front of this mirror. The mirror shows him uh, not a reflection of reality, but, a ref but uh, what Harry's like, greatest wish would be. And so he sees his parents and he's tempted to go back night after night and sit and look into the mirror. And eventually Dumbledore comes and says, you know what, this is really dangerous. You should not just hang out in front of this. Uh, because many people have died just staring into the mirror of Erised. It's a big temptation. You need to put that aside so that you can focus on uh, what's important. That's as far as we got um, yesterday in class and talking about the hero's journey. Um, so in the next week, we'll start with Atonement with the Father. We'll get kind of as far as we can. Like I said, we're just trying to blow through this so that we can have the main ideas under our belt before we jump into into watching films. Now, the films that we're going to watch in this class are, uh, I tried to, how do you pick like 11 masterpieces of film, the, the 11 greatest films ever made? I don't know. Um, so what I did is I got some feedback from some colleagues uh, in the languages and theater and film. And, um, and then I thought uh, I would like to have a variety of films in a variety of different languages, 
variety of uh, different directors. And I'd like to do something from each decade. And I'd like to do stuff that I consider great. So uh, well-acted, well-produced, well-directed, um, well-shot, and that says something meaningful. So uh, this is my best shot at it. Um, I could teach this class 100 times and do 10 different films every time and probably still be coming up with great films. Uh, but here they are. So it's Charlie Chaplin's The Kid, um, Metropolis, Fritz Lang, and then uh, La Grande Illusion is a French film, uh, The Grand Illusion. And then uh, that's from 1936. And then 1940 is The Philadelphia Story with Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart, and Hepburn. And then um, the 50s, I've got The Searchers. And then... Um, from the 60s, I've got the film Eight and a Half is an Italian film. The Searchers is a John Wayne film, sort of widely considered to be the greatest uh, Western of all time. Eight and a Half is an Italian film by Fellini. Very strange, but pretty interesting. Um, from the 1970s, I have a film by Kurosawa, who is best known for um, Seven Samurai and Rashomon. He's a Japanese director, but he made one film in Russian, and it is awesome. It's called Derzu Uzala, and uh, so we're going to watch that. That's from 1970. I believe. 1981 is Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then in the 90s, uh, we've got Life is Beautiful, an Italian film. And, uh, and then from the 2000s, I've got um, Spirited Away, which is a Japanese film by Miyazaki, uh, an animated film. And then uh, from 2013, Gravity by Alfonso Cuaron, who's kind of on the map right now because uh, the Academy Awards, he's up for uh, Roma. Uh, but Gravity is a super cool film. And, uh, and so that's where we're going to end the semester. Well, that's it for today. Feel free to reach out and ask me any questions you might have regarding the things I've discussed on the show. You can do that by emailing me at tmac at hillsdale.edu or contacting me on Twitter at Todd K. Mac. Don't forget to check out my other In Case You Missed Class podcasts listed on my website at toddkmac.com. This semester, along with this podcast, I have a show on philosophy and fiction in modern Spain and one on beginning Spanish too. And finally, if you know anyone interested, uh, in the hero's journey or film, please share this podcast with them. It's the best way to help my audience grow. Thanks for listening. Until next time, so long.